0: Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 459. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms, And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thank you goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers by lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Today, on Wednesday, June 24th, 2020, we're kicking off my new book, The Slow Flowers Journal, volume 1. And I couldn't be more excited to share the news with you. I'm celebrating the launch in a few ways, in person with my Seattle community at a socially distanced book signing event at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market and online with our Slow Flowers community everywhere via a virtual book launch over Zoom, The virtual launch party and happy hour takes place at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on June 24th. And we will welcome many special guests who appear in the book's pages. Check out the link to join us in today's show notes. Plus, we'll be sure to post the replay video for those who miss the party in real time. If you want to grab your own copy of Slow Flowers Journal, Volume 1, our bookstore is open for orders. So you can find that link in today's show notes as well. We will be celebrating this book's publication for weeks to come. Included with the stories and floral designs of more than 80 Silflowers members, there are two stunning creations by today's guest, Remy Bro of Labellum, a contemporary floral boutique based in Bozeman, Montana. Remy and I first met in September 2017 at a conference called Rocky Mountain Gardening Live, produced by Rocky Mountain Gardening Magazine. She shared a beautiful tabletop floral demonstration featuring all Montana-grown flowers and later led a fun hands-on workshop to teach participants how to make miniature floral pieces as place settings. I was there to talk about the Slow Flowers movement from a gardener's point of view. Soon after that, Remy joined Slow Flowers as a member, and I've been wanting to have her as a guest on the podcast for quite a while. It seems like perfect timing to do that right now with something fun to celebrate, including her centerpiece and bridal bouquet featured in the Slow Flowers Journal book. Here's more about Remy Bro and Labellum. Labellum is a retail flower shop in downtown Bozeman, which also specializes in event florals. With a style that is hip, modern, and organic, Remy says this about her business. We love mixing natural elements and incorporating rich textures into our work. With artistry and imagination, each arrangement tells a story and is as unique as our clients. We are inspired by the ever-changing seasons with all of their natural textures. Impact is everything, and our footprint matters to us. We work with gardeners and farmers in our area during the warmer months in Montana to combine as many vibrant local flowers as possible into our designs. We also grow many flowers on our own. Whenever possible, we love foraging respectfully and ethically in the forest or along the riverbeds for awesome driftwoods, rocks and anything that has fun textures and shapes. We have recently become beekeepers and added two beehives to our our little ever-changing urban farm. Our hope is to help with pollinating our neighborhood, increasing bee populations, and of course, producing a delicious organic wildflower honey. By the way, the word labellum is the center petal of an orchid, a beautiful name and a beautiful idea for an organically focused flower shop. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode 459 to see photos of Remy Bro and her floral designs, including the two pieces featured in the Slow Flowers Journal. Uh, And I'll also share Remy's social places for you to follow her in the future. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing and I'm so thrilled today to introduce a special guest from Bozeman, Montana, Remy Bro, owner of Labellum. Hi Remy. Hey Deborah. how are you? I'm great. I'm sorry we're not doing this in person, but I'm glad I've got you on the line. Soon, definitely soon. Well, we have we saw each other in person a couple years ago at the Rocky Mountain Gardeners Live Conference and uh I, It was really fun. You did a whole presentation about tabletop design. And uh, remind me what you did there. I can't, was it a design workshop or a demo? It was a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So I did a demo of how you can kind of
1: gather all of the fun flowers that you've grown for the season since the, um, event actually took place toward the end of summer. Everyone's going to be kind of cleaning up their cutting garden. And I wanted to show everyone how they could actually use those pieces to decorate for a fun dinner party. And then the workshop element was, I thought it'd be fun for you to make for your guests little boutonnieres. That's right. Little place settings. Everyone could have a little fun thing to wear. So everyone got to make their own boutonniere that day.
0: That's right. I might even have photos of that day. I was so thrilled to be there at Chico Hot Springs. Um, that is a special place to my brother and his wife who live in Billings. And so I'd been there with them once before. And uh, then I was thrilled. That it was very much a gardener focused conference.
1: Um,
0: but you really related floral design to the, the, you know, avid gardener in terms of what they people could do with what's in their own garden. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, It's always
1: one thing when you grow beautiful flowers, and I know because I grow flowers myself that you don't always want to cut them, but sometimes you do. (laughs) And, (laughs) And not being able to know how to kind of assemble them and make them look the way you envision them in your head so that you can show them off in your home. That's what I like kind of teaching all the gardener friends and gardener workshops that I do.
0: Well, I think the gardening world and the floristry world are kind of colliding in a good way um, after years of being separate, so. Totally. I do have to say, I, I gave—I think I gave a talk about slow flowers at that event, and I do remember, I don't know if you were in the room when this happened, but this woman uh, in the front row uh, raised her hand and started telling me that she had tried to sell flowers to a local florist, but but the florist was afraid that because this gardener was using organic practices that the flowers would have insects on them and therefore wouldn't be valuable. And I, I was flummoxed. I did not know how to relate to, I mean, I didn't know how to calm her down and say, well, if there's bugs on them, that means that they are organic. So therefore Uh they're healthier. (laughs)
1: so <laughs> true. It's so true. You know, I love it when we get our local farmers delivering and there's a bumblebee stuck on something, <laughs> yeah. or even a little, you know, thrip that's like hanging out on there. I love all the ladybugs that we get. And of course, I place them all the fun little bugs outside on our planters <laughs> in front of our shop. But that—that <laughs> that to me is the best part of knowing that our local growers aren't using pesticides or any chemical products to treat the flowers.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you have like you've got a, a good attitude about it because um, you know the, uh, the pursuit of uniformity and perfection is kind of what got us in this place of having to redefine what is you know sustainable floristry. So
1: definitely. Wow. It's very similar to our food industry, um, how we grow and produce for mass production and mass consumption, whether it's for food or for just enjoying cut flowers. Um, it, it is the same mentality. I'm so happy that there is a slow, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to um, start revisualizing and reimagining how we Actually, have our agriculture in this country and globally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know our conversation was going to go this way, but I, I just you prompted a thought that a, a a memory from just this past February at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, which is the big indoor winter flower show in Seattle, oh, yeah. and there was a in the uh, in the you know, trade show component, I guess, where people have booths. There was a company um, marketing like ugly fruit or something like that. The whole point <laughs> being you could you could hi, buy a CSA subscription for like slightly misshapen or bruised, but like still edible fruits and vegetables. <laughs> that is the best. Oh my gosh.
1: I love it. And you're so right. It's like you go to any mass major box market and your, every apple is a, like totally the same. They're (laughs) all the same color, the same size. You could take a little tape measure and they'd be perfect. Right. And I don't know. Apples don't grow like that on my tree. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh my (laughs) gosh.
1: have little worm holes and you just cut that little worm out and continue eating.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. Like what we're referring to is kind of a redefinition of what is beautiful. Uh, and I feel like that's reflected in your work. So let's pivot to Labellum, which is what we were going to start doing until I got off the beaten track. Um, and give me a snapshot of Labellum as a business. What are your your kind of facets and services and you know your vibe? Well, uh, we opened in
1: 2011. And originally, I wanted it to be a local neighborhood flower shop but with my own personal modern slant to it um being in the industry so long i didn't want it to be the same type of shop that i had grown up you know experiencing and um it was a risk in our area um, to kind of bring in something that was a little bit new but we really got received so well and we really are a neighborhood flower shop on the south side of bozeman Everybody that lives on that side of town comes in, they get their flowers for their Friday night dinners, their gifts for their kids' teachers. Um, and we just kind of, you know, settled into a wonderful community, you know, um, flower space. I do do a lot of uh, local weddings also. The majority of our clients tend to be um, destination bride and grooms though. I think there's a probably a, a style aesthetic that they relate to with the work that I do, um, that makes them want kind of that modern Montana. Um, but, uh, yeah, we do weddings throughout the summer and then, uh, we're local, local neighborhood flower shop throughout the rest of the year.
0: So is it, um, on a retail, like pedestrian, uh, street, like people can walk in or do, is, do they have to make an appointment?
1: No, we are we are open normal hours when I can get myself in on time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have a brick and mortar. It's a cute little thousand square square foot shop, and um, we're in a kind of like a little shopping development. Um, there's a few awesome restaurants and a little cafe, um, and a pediatrician and, and a little flower shop.
0: That's beautiful. Well, on your website, you say, you know, Bozeman by way of, and you have some other cities, including, I think you have uh, Los Angeles and Paris, right? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that journey. That was really a great line. It's a great line. Well,
1: I'm a New Yorker born and raised. I grew up in New York City. And uh, in the late 90s, I moved to Los Angeles. And I spent 12 years there. But within that 12-year that period, I met my lifelong partner, my husband, um, and he's from Paris, France. And we've always lived in big cities. He went directly from Paris to Los Angeles. I went from New York to Los Angeles. And And when we decided that we wanted a change, we were like, oh man, we've always lived in cities. What, what can we do to give ourselves some new inspiration, kind of get in a different visual mentality for creating. Um, and Bozeman, Montana kept on coming up in our, in our little mix. So we decided to take the plunge.
0: My goodness. Wow. So you literally, you know, what, looked at a number of options and visited a number of cities and, and kind of just let those cities speak to you, and Bozeman felt like it had the right mix of what you were looking for?
1: Yeah, definitely. We we had, let's see, I think there was a small little college town in Massachusetts. We were thinking maybe south of France. There were selling for, I think, $10 for a hundred acres in the Cinque Terre in Italy. Oh my goodness! If you decided to take on these old decrepit vineyards.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how widespread <laughs> our our fantasies were. So <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, tell me your husband's first name again. I know. I think I met him at Chico Hot Springs too. Yeah. His name is Fred. Freddy. Fred. Okay. So, are you? Were you both in like doing different independent art kind of? careers before you, uh, moved to Bozeman or like, tell me about how you blend your, your personal, um, I don't know, expression as art. I, I sense that he must be involved in Labellum too. He is.
1: Yeah. So he's an amazing artist. Um, he, he's a really talented, uh, pen on ink and a really awesome, uh, carpenter as mm-hmm. well.
0: Mm-hmm. So he
1: was doing a lot of custom carpentry work and, uh, that type of, you know, Artwork when he was when we were in L.A. and I was, of course, I was still in the flower industry. Um, I had originally gone to like and worked in some smaller boutique shops. And then I actually got in with one of the larger um, flower event companies uh, for big events in, in L.A. Um, and. And so he would help me kind of construct some of the bigger pieces for that. And that was his first kind of introduction to the flower world madness. <laughs> and, yep. uh, but we're both musicians. We had actually gotten together cause we formed a band.
0: Oh my goodness. You are a multi-talented lady. That's amazing. We burned the candle on both. ends. <laughs> well, um, I can see where, what a burnout it would be to work in the, in a big event production company in Los Angeles and and when when you're trying to you know have some meaning for your art but really it's just like probably hard to not feel like you're on a factory production line uh, most of the time
1: that's that's really the cherry on the cake for me i was working 70 plus hours a week um i didn't have any kind of life i was super stressed out they were really super um high-end high stress um, events that we were putting on and I was the head event designer and man and kind of coordinator for all of them. So it, it was, it was too much. And I did, I, I totally burned out. I loved it. It was an incredible experience. I would never throw it away, but there was no room for any kind of breath. And, and when, when you finally make that decision, you kind of turn that little switch off in your whole body and you can't, Function doing that anymore?
0: Well, and here, you know, the profession or the industry is telling you, like you're at the peak of your career and you've really, you've really achieved, uh, you know, the most prominent type of job a florist can have. And meanwhile, you're asking yourself, what, where's the joy in all of this?
1: Oh, absolutely! I was like at the top that I could be. Beside from owning that company, and like, oh, you know what? Let's throw it all away and move
0: to Montana. I love it. So you, (laughs) but you know what? It's almost like a radical change had to be made. Uh, there was no sort of easing out of that or you, you just, you get sucked right back in. hundred percent. And there were no tears. It was
1: all kind of that nervous excitement. It, it really needed to be done. It felt so organic when we were thinking about it. And when we decided to do it, that, that we knew that it was the right decision for us.
0: Well, you mentioned that you had looked at other small college towns. Isn't Bozeman a small a, a university town as well? It
1: is. Yeah, we have Montana State University Bozeman here.
0: And and what is the population of your of your town? I know you're in Western Montana, right?
1: We're in Southwest Montana, and we have, you know, it. We have such an influx these days. I think we're in that like forty eight thousand people, and a- the university usually brings in ten to fifteen thousand.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting um, profile of a small town in that you've got people who maybe have a, a value for spending money on flowers because of their income level. And maybe you have more, I don't know, people interested in art and culture. And, you know, you've got locals who maybe see the fact that you're buying and promoting Montana Grown is important. I mean, it's the interesting uh, vibe that um, I've heard about from other florists who work in college towns. I guess it, it's kind of a generalization, but um, you, you must have done a lot of research to figure out, was there an opportunity to open a flower shop here based on what else was in town?
1: I didn't do that much research. <laughs> <It> went, <laughs> you went by your instinct. <laughs> we moved up here. And we didn't have any jobs or any preconceived notions of what we we're going to do. We took six months off. We bought a canoe. And <laughs> and then after that six months was up, oh, wow, I think we got to start making some money and uh, figuring out something more permanent here. And I didn't want to do flowers. But my husband encouraged me not to throw away all those years of exper- experience. And um, I took his advice and and went for it.
0: Oh, interesting. But on your own terms, and with sort of a clean slate of building the type of flower business, you've always wanted to, you know, kind of run yourself.
1: 100%. That's the only way I know that it functions for me. Um, being, being back at what I felt was becoming kind of a, a toxic creativity space for me wouldn't ever work again. Um, having that that openness, that availability, and that connection that I have actually with our customers is what's most important. You know, really being that kind of neighborhood shop, I know a lot of my customers by first name. I know their kids. I know their pets' names. And I know the styles that they like. That actually helps with what I actually create and put together for them. We're not that kind of that type of shop that there's 20 different arrangements already pre-made. Mm. Some of my stuff I make on the spot. So people wait and It's all open concept. There's, you know, no table in the back hidden where everything gets prepared and then something gets brought out to you. I like our customers being able to see how things are being prepared and kind of be part of the process of, oh, what colors should we put in this or what container do you want this in? And that actually helps create the experience for them as well.
0: Well, in some very sort of almost subtle way, that involves them and there's buy-in in the purchase price in that, like they're not just buying a generics commodity of X number of stems, but there's this creativity and composition and that they're somehow, you know, experiencing along with you. I, I hadn't thought about what, what, how do you put a price on that? That's really special. Yeah. And, and, Usually, everyone seems to love it, and we talk about
1: the flowers. Sometimes they ask us, "What is that weird-looking flower?" Mm-hmm. I tell them, "Oh, well, this one originated in South Africa, but they grow them now in California." And people love having that information because I think they then pass it on to the recipient.
0: Oh, I think so too. That that's wonderful, and sort of gives the empowers your customer to, uh, you know, feel like part of the of the creativity process. Totally. So. I'm thinking back to 2011 even, which wasn't that long ago, but I guess we're in 2020, so nine years ago. Yeah. Um, you probably had a different, um uh, you know, different landscape of flowers from which to choose when back in 2011, you were probably buying a lot from uh LA or San Francisco or I don't know. I mean, who, how were you getting your flowers versus now? So...
1: From the get-go, I knew I wanted to buy locally. Okay, there really weren't any flower farms that were in our area, um, so I would go around and see someone's lovely garden. <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, "Wow, you have really gorgeous peonies! You have so many! Would you be open to selling me some?" And so I kind of started working with a lot of different. Gardeners around town. Oh, interesting. And they'd be bringing in a little vase or some snippings, a couple of buckets, and that would be in our growing season. The rest would be coming from wholesalers um, out in Washington and California.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so you kind of demonstrated that there was a way to use seasonal and local flowers before the small scale flower farm even caught up to you. Um, In at least, I mean, that's my that was my hunch. That's why I asked that question because I think that probably the the farms that I know of in Montana and there's many who are Slow Flowers members, but they're all under five years old uh, in terms of their existence, unless I'm missing somebody. Yeah, I
1: I think you're right as far as. I, there may be somebody in more northern or central Montana that I'm not aware of, but at least ones that were willing to bring flowers down to Bozeman, I didn't know of anybody at the time.
0: Interesting point, Remy, that there's a lot of highway time between every town in your state. I mean, there's oh <laughs> people have to be willing to get in the, on the road and do some deliveries or you know, you have to go out and pick stuff up. I mean, sure, that's factored into your your weekly schedule. Oh,
1: definitely. So, you know, having shop hours has allowed for, you know, vendors being able to, you know, accommodate getting flowers to us within that time frame. Mm, mm-hmm. can't expect a delivery at 930 in the morning on Tuesday, you know, but I know that they'll come on Tuesday at some time, mm-hmm. <laughs> weather permitting. Um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, I've had to let go and kind of find that Zen in, in, you you know, know it's like, you, you can't expect the same city, um, city promptness that, that city speed is, is different. And being able to relinquish that kind of power
0: is actually kind of liberating, (laughs) I love it. I, I love it. And also, you're since 2011. I, I just from seeing your post and and looking at your website, I sense that you are also you and Fred are trying to grow some of your flowers, uh, some flowers for your shop too.
1: We are. So we we bought a little house here in town uh, four years ago, and three years ago started growing. Um, we are not the biggest fans of grass, mm-hmm. but we've been methodically every year removing more and more grass to grow more food and flowers um, we do keep some grass because our chickens really need it it's essential <laughs> essential for them <laughs> um, but uh, our primary primarily primary focus right now has been on uh, food production for us and for our friends mm. um and then you know slowly kind of growing our perennial garden and I'm you know doing a lot of fun annuals.
0: Oh, that's nice. I mean, it's just nice to be able, well, for example, you just talked about kind of having a, a slow mindset about when the deliveries arrive. If something were to happen and you had a, an order, you, you aren't completely you know, at a loss. You can cut from your own garden and you have gardeners you know who you can call on just down the street. Definitely.
1: I, I love that challenge you know, toward the end of the week when the cooler's starting to get really kind of thin and someone comes in and they want something big and extraordinary. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? But that's actually where the most inspiration comes for me. And you do cool things with grasses and maybe grab a big dry banksia and stick it in there. And you know, it's it's not always about only having the big peonies and the big roses to have a beautiful arrangement.
0: Oh, I love that you mentioned a dried banksia. You have some beautiful designs with uh, dried uh, you know, elements, uh, foraged elements. A lot of use a lot. It seems to, to um, be a preference of yours succulents and talansia. Maybe it's just the photos that I saw.
1: <laughs> I loved succulents and talansia. I've been using them for at least 25 years. I think they're the coolest things.
0: Yeah, the LA girl, and you brought them with you to <laughs> Bozeman, right? <laughs>
1: totally, 100%. You know, growing up in the 70s, everybody's grandma had the, like a little seashell with a succulent or or a t- talansia glued onto it. <laughs> right. and, and I always thought it was so peculiar to glue a plant onto something. <laughs> right. and, and then when I finally learned what those little creatures were, I decided to give them a little bit of freedom and, and some extra
0: life. And, and I use them all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, let's talk about weddings a little bit because that up until COVID, that was, a you know... <laughs> a big, a big facet in your business. Like you mentioned destination weddings, people would want to get married in the area because what they went to college in Bozeman, or it's a really pl- a beautiful place that they had vacationed or like what, what type of couple it was uh, coming to you uh, or coming to Bozeman for wet- their wedding it's a, it's a wide range i think that um
1: sometimes their families came here to ski mm. and so they have like that connection of family time in the winter so they they wanted to bring people back to to bozeman but the weather's so much nicer here in the summer mm-hmm. so they, they decided to you know kind of incorporate those two uh we get a lot of people that want that beautiful kind of dreamy barn type of experience sure. that you get in other places um, and then, most of all, it's it's um people that want to kind of have that change, just like Fred and I did mm. and and they they see that there's an opportunity and a wildness about Montana that they kind of want in their wedding experience,
0: so there's a are there like uh, within a, I don't know an hour's drive from Bozeman, a lot of venues that would kind of accommodate. Uh, a destination wedding or like, how do you get pulled into those sorts of ceremonies? The wedding
1: industry is exploding here in Bozeman and in Southwest Montana in general. Um, I would say we have like a good two hour radius around Bozeman where there are so many different gorgeous spots. We have Prey, Montana and all of Paradise Valley. Um, there's, you know, beautiful big sky and tons of gorgeous ranches. All throughout that that space, and then more and more event barns and locations popping up in the actual vicinity of Bozeman, also.
0: Wow! And so, uh, do people tend to find the venue first and then start shopping for a local florist, or, or how you know how, or does it is it a combination? Like they might find you and you suggest a venue for them.
1: I usually recommend that they pick a venue first because that kind of lends to everything else falling into place know how you're going to decorate when you know where you're going to be decorating in. And, you know, sometimes it it does happen that people, you know, thankfully love me and that they want me to do their flowers. So they book us first and then they don't, you know, have the same kind of urgency about where, as long as they know who's part of their team. Mm -hmm. But usually usually we, we get clients that come in that already have their date, already have the venue, and now they want to do all the fun stuff like flowers and cake and dresses.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm just curious. Like last year, how many weddings did you uh, do flowers for? I mean, small and large. Small and large, probably about thirty-five. Okay, that's a that's a lot when you're also running a full service floral studio, uh, floral shop. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it's ambitious,
0: it's and Pl- it's just it's just me and Fred. Yeah, and I was um, gonna say also you have sort of it's condensed into a smaller season because of your climate, right? Definitely. We get occasional, a few little one-off winter wonderland type weddings,
1: but most of it is probably May through October.
0: So, so what is 2020 going to look like in that regard? Have you had a lot of postponements?
1: 80% of our clients have postponed and rescheduled for next summer. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's pretty
1: intense. About probably 10% flat out canceled. They just can't, can't, couldn't deal with it. And then uh, the other 10% are kind of hanging on. They're they're hoping that we move into phase three here in Montana and that they're going to be able to have their, their larger weddings. Um, if not, they st- still want to go through with it and have just a larger, uh, smaller guest count and um, just more flowers. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I've heard that. So maybe like the late summer into fall weddings are the ones that are still hopeful about you know, getting to have that, that happen in 2020. What did you, I think I heard you say smaller guest count, more flowers. Oh yeah. <laughs> that would be a great hashtag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe it need to make bumper stickers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I heard this from another florist too, actually Jimmy Lohr from Green Center in um, Pittsburgh told me that he's, he's trying to, uh, keep it all positive with his clients who are rescheduling and, and, and saying, look, let's, let's do an over the top floral. But his point was for the idea of just, okay, maybe all your guests aren't there, but you still want beautiful photography. Maybe you still want that amazing, you know, installation or arch or hanging piece because you'll have that in your, with your, you know, with the couple being photographed and it's going to be preserved for forever then. I completely agree with that. And that's
1: what I've been telling a lot of my my couples also. There's going to be a lasting impression when you look through your wedding album. And regardless of having 20 guests or 200 guests, those images of... The two of you are going to be forever, mm-hmm. so you might as well still have that gorgeous arch and stand there and have that whole focal point. And I mean, I know personally, my wedding we only had thirty people, and I went all out with all the flowers. <laughs> and- <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it it was it was a priority of mine to still have that. And and I'm just trying to encourage everybody
0: to to think
1: long term in the short term.
0: But still you've taken a hit this year with, I mean, yes, maybe you have the deposits, but you can't just like, you want to, that money's earmarked for an event in 2021 now. So.
1: And that now limits those dates that we have available next year for other couples that were not yet engaged and hoping to plan their 2021 wedding. Since we are a small operation, I usually only take on one wedding per weekend and, um, it's usually a two or three day kind of event. And that's, you know, I want to give my full attention to one couple and all of that, you know, energy and creativity to them. So we don't kind of take on multiple and I don't get in major, you know, help to to help prepare all the other events. So those dates have filled up. Most of our summer is completely filled already.
0: I guess people might start having weekday weddings or, you know, some kind of uh, I don't know, alternate, I don't know. They're just going to have to think of a way to get, get the venue and the flowers they want, but maybe not on a Saturday or a Friday. Totally. I, I think a lot of Wednesdays are in our future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So do you think you'll end up uh, breaking your rule and maybe doing a two wedding weekend or are you trying to avoid that?
1: It, it's really going to depend on the scale Yeah. And size of the event. If something's smaller and it can be an easy thing to to deliver or install, I may consider it. But Wednesday is usually begin prep day for a weekend wedding. Sure. Get containers ready and, you know, processing flowers. And so it it may not be that flexible for me.
0: Wow. Wow. So have you, uh, I don't know, built, uh, do you feel like because weddings are kind of taking a backseat this year, you've built up other ele- other services and and uh, facets of Labellum or how are you kind of, I don't know, sustaining this at this time? So thankfully, we since we are brick and mortar, we are still open for all of
1: our regular day-to-day business. Um, we've been open for a few weeks now here in Montana, which has been amazing. And everyone's really eager to kind of get back into sending flowers for those new babies and happy birthdays and congratulations. We just had all of the virtual graduation and commencement ceremonies here for the college and for the high school. And so everyone kind of did a lot of awesome flowers for for those graduates at home that they probably wouldn't have if um, we hadn't had all of these closures and social distancing restrictions. So that, that's that been kind of a, a new, new element that I've been taking into consideration. You know, I'm trying to uh, really focus on Montana and Washington grown flowers for this summer primarily, um, and knowing actually the flow and how much business we're going to have, I, I think it's too much of a, an unknown right now. Um I have been encouraging my clients to kind of get a lot of dried flowers too mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been uh, love it yeah during the closure, I actually um made a whole bunch of different dried flower arrangements, most of which were flowers that I dried that were left in the cooler when we had to close.
0: <laughs> oh wow that was like not a single stem wasted then, right
1: I I tried my best.
0: oh my gosh that's. That's and that's actually so perfect for Montana because it already um you know I don't there's this mindset I guess of just not wasting things uh, it I feel and that that just carries people into the winter months just the way they would be preserving food for the winter
1: absolutely and you know dried flowers as long as you look at them as a beautiful dried flower, not as a dead fresh flower. <laughs>
0: then they totally work (laughs) i love it i love that line it's like you're just redefining beauty back to what we started uh talking about like this is beautiful because it's a beautiful dried flower i uh it's just all in the spin i love it (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness well um i guess this is a chance for all of us to take a pause and pick pick through our you know our our dreams and our regrets and kind of really peel away what's unnecessary in our business or maybe what's not been fun and discard it and jettison it and then refocus on to uh, bring to the top of the list things that, that you know we've put off or that we've always wanted to do and, I, and I'm doing that personally myself so I'm wondering if that's been an issue for you or been a a Hate to use the word silver lining, but some kind of benefit for you during this enforced, um, timeout. But it's always important to try to find that silver lining.
1: I I've never thought that that expression was, was a, a bad one. Mm-hmm. It, we have to continue to move forward. Being stuck on the past and having regrets is never healthy. So how we can continue to make our businesses thrive, even through adverse, or adverse, you know, situations. Mm-hmm. Is for me, most important, I, I try to be as flexible as possible. And I've, <clears throat> excuse me, noticed that that actual seven week lockdown gave me more time to work in my garden and to develop more of my perennial space and realize that I actually want to grow more and have that availability for the next couple years. So possibly having no weddings, you know, on the weekends for this summer is going to give me more time to really cultivate that area of my business.
0: Oh wow, that's a really good point. And also, just that whole it kind of ties into that whole um, idea of conversations I heard about food security and and distribution. Um, you know, vulnerability. It's it does apply to flowers equally. And by growing more, you're ensuring that you're going to have flowers to, to design with should covid you know flare back up again and your state and all states to have you know another shutdown i mean we none of us know so we don't know it and that that's kind of the the
1: scary part of being in business um that's a scary part of being a brick and mortar you know if if you're just an event or studio florist you don't have the same type of overhead as an actual retail shop right and and having a, that rent every month when you're not open and that you know income isn't coming in,
0: that was kind of scary. Yeah, that's horrible. I'm so glad that you're back open again. And, and is it? <laughs> I hope you stay open all summer. With, Me too. <laughs> with your six foot distancing and your face mask and all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you two things before we go. One is, do you and Fred ever get out in that canoe anymore? <laughs> we sold the canoe <laughs> okay <laughs> so that's a no do you and Fred still make music together
1: we do awesome yeah, we're, we're always creating and uh we have some stuff that we're hoping to be able to put out for next year what like a recording <gasps> yeah we actually have five albums that we put out before but we took a we've taken a long hiatus while being here in, in Montana and we're just starting to find that creative space again
0: you know, OK, I'm going to issue this invitation to you and you can say no if you if you you don't have to answer now, but this is a future int- invitation. But every year for like the last five years, I've tried to have a holiday music special right around December, the last week in December on the podcast and bring in flower people who are also musicians. So I'm going to you don't have to sing holiday songs. So I'd love to have you guys come be guest um, and do a music special with me in December future it's an invitation that's open. you don't have to answer now, but think about it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you thank you. All right. <laughs> I know well, you know uh, it is a this is the perfect medium for listening to music and we all we're doing is talking so we we've got to fix that. Um, but I love your story and I love I love your story of resilience too, which is a theme we've really been um, constantly talking about. Uh, since March, um, well, and-, and resilience is kind of the core message of slow flowers.
1: Sustainability is uber important, and having that within our flower industry is is really essential. And there's no way for us to change that entire global perspective, but even. Once in a while, you get an extra bucket here or there from a local grower. It makes all the difference.
0: I appreciate that because I, I do try to communicate more specifically uh, um, to people who are just discovering what slow flowers is by saying just it's not an all or nothing. Yes, of course, I'd love to have you sell 100 percent local flowers. But that's not realistic for everybody. And I don't want to be naive and think it is. So just start somewhere and um, add one. You know one offering on your website or you know one menu for your potential brides to see that there this is a choice and you're you're willing to to help source locally for the customer who wants it totally agree yeah wow well uh before we close i forgot to bring this up earlier and i will share the photos in our show notes but uh remy has two beautiful designs included in the galleries in the new South hours journal volume one book and i want to thank you for contributing to the book you have a beautiful yeah beautiful tabletop design and also one of your bouquets and so um i can't quite remember how the bouquet came about the tabletop design photo i think we included that in our rocky mountain issue of florist review a couple years ago yeah Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you're representing Montana in, in the book and um, we'll, yeah, and I'd love to share those photos in the show notes, but also maybe some other photos that you can share about, you know, the aesthetic of labellum and all the flowers we've discussed that you like to design with. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Remy. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. You're the best. You are too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. In coming weeks, I'll be showcasing the talents and stories of many of the members featured in our book. And if you're interested in submitting your floral designs or the story of your floral enterprise for possible inclusion in Slow Flowers Journal Volume 2, please reach out. We're beginning to plan our next book in the series and would love to consider you for its pages. I'll share how to submit your ideas in today's show notes with more details to follow later this summer. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. On Sunday, June 28th, we kick off the 6th annual american flowers week with a full calendar of online virtual events keep an eye out for details on our slow flowers facebook and instagram pages as we will announce new content interviews design demonstrations floral installations and tours each day june 28th through july 4th you can find the full schedule of activities at americanflowersweek.com Please join me in sharing your seasonal and local flowers to elevate awareness about domestic flowers. Get involved and support this initiative to promote and educate consumers about the source of their flowers. Here's how you can help out the campaign. First, take photos of your flowers on the farm, in the studio, and in your customers' hands. Post those photos to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or all three, and please tag hashtag AmericanFlowersWeek and hashtag SlowFlowers. In addition to the tags you usually use on Instagram and Twitter, we are at my slow flowers and on Facebook, we are slow flowers. You can download free American flowers week, graphics, badges, and other resources at American So I'll see you on social media during June 28th through July 4th. Enjoy those red, white, and blue blooms. I can't wait to see what you post. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 617,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at DebraPrinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear... Please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at SoundBodyMovement.com.